Eighth Level Podcast is about being self-employed, entrepreneurship, and managing our online business. It's also about connecting to our souls, having the right mindset, and self-care. My name is Lourdes, and I am the host of this show. Thank you for listening to this episode today. Hi, everyone. Today, I am interviewing Paul Kennedy. Paul is an American who enjoys traveling, not taking a vacation, but really likes to travel, loves to learn about the country and the culture and its food. He is a trained chef and likes to cook different foods, especially Vietnamese food. Actually, he has been living in Vietnam for the past four years, and he recently opened his travel agency business there. He's an entrepreneur at heart and has experiences opening and closing his business, and he shares his story about his business journey. And Paul, thank you so much for joining me in my podcast today. How are you? Lourdes, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Greetings from Hanoi, Vietnam. Yeah, and as I record this show, it's about five minutes to six o'clock a.m. And is it six, almost six p.m. in Vietnam? It is. It okay. is. I'm twelve hours ahead of you. Tell me, what made you pick Vietnam? <laughs> First, I need to explain my laughter uh, because we, you and I, were talking about this. Um, so, what I, why did I pick? I don't know. I picked Vietnam because. Yeah, you never really know. Sometimes you have you make choices in life, and it takes you sometimes years um, to really self um, analyze why you made those choices, and often your answer will change. But I know how I felt when I arrived in Vietnam, and that was I really loved the word I used was vibe. I know that because I happened to have put it on social media. So I, I, I had that documented for me that I know I loved the vibe as soon as I landed. And it was a feeling that I did not have when I landed in other places like Chiang Mai, Thailand, places that, that I was told I might enjoy. I knew I did not like them. So as soon as I arrived in Hanoi, I knew it almost instantly. That's interesting. So you must really listen to your heart and your gut. Um, what kind of vibe did you not get from other countries that you visited? Well, Chiang Mai in particular, because the people I met along my, uh, I don't want to overuse that word journey, but along my journey, the people that steered me towards Chiang Mai as a the place that they thought I might want to land or, or stay longer. And when I got there, there was no, there's no culture. And I didn't know at the time, again, that's part of the, if you step back and try and figure out why you made these choices. Now I realize it was, there was no culture there. It's very Westernized, full of expats. I didn't know at the time what it was, but now I realize uh, there was no purpose. There was nothing to learn. So there, everything there was Westernized. So how I look at things here in Vietnam, there's an expat area and I do not live there. My red flag would be, if you're living in somewhere abroad and your neighborhood restaurant has like a taco Tuesday or, or some sort of pizza night, then you're, you're in the wrong neighborhood because it's geared towards Westerners. So that's what I felt about Chiang Mai. And that's why I do not feel about most of Hanoi. There is an expat area, but so that's, that's why um, the other areas I didn't really 
feel like I was going to learn anything, even though I didn't realize I wanted to. I realized I, there was nothing there that interests me. Oh, that's hilarious the way you mentioned that there is. Taco I think, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, Taco Tuesday, some pizza joint. And I think you're right. It's like just the touristy areas and it becomes so big and popular in that region of the country. Um, and I love that about you is that you refuse to live in that part and, and you rather go into the culture of the people. Um, tell me something. How do you communicate with the Vietnamese folks in your country or in the country that you're in right now? I don't. I don't. Okay. Um, so I, have, <laughs> I, I, I almost always have someone with me. I had in New York, I was working at this for this restaurant group and, and there's three restaurants and the, the handyman was a deaf mood. Um, I <laughs> say this because, and he, he was, I believe, we believe he was illiterate also, but not for sure. But the reason I'm saying this is that I didn't know sign language. And if we needed something done and I had to explain that whatever it was needed to be done at a different location, you just figure out how to communicate. That's what we did. It wasn't a, a process. It's you, you adapt. Mm-hmm. So here for me, I adapt. You know, I, I run into plenty of situations that are hysterical, but I know, you know, if, I, if it doesn't work the first time, then bring someone with me or, or change. I was trying to get a ream of paper not too long ago for my printer. And I even, you know, I, I pull it up the picture of it on my phone and I have the translation ready on my phone. I go to the store that I know has it. I can't see it in the store, so I can't point to it, but I show them a picture. Um, it's a, it's a ream of paper. Um, and she over and over tried to give me depends undergarments, you know, adult diapers. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, this is a picture of, of paper. You're like, where are you getting depends undergarments? Where are you getting adult diapers out of this? You know, this is an image. Um, but I realized, okay, well, this is a place that sells paper. Clearly her eyes aren't good. And also clearly I just don't come back here by myself or I send someone else to get it. Not a big deal. Adjusted, done. So every time I need paper, some a friend of mine gets it. So things like that happen. Then you learn. So how do I communicate? I really don't. Hmm. Um, or I figure out something. In, in class, I was teaching today. For those who don't know, I, I started teaching English during once COVID started and we got we were in lockdown. And they wanted me to call the students because I was covering for someone and they wanted me to call the students' names to answer the questions. And I said, and I, I, I'm going to butcher their names and then we'll go to the, what'd you say? I won't know what, you know, it's just a big issue. It's going to take a lot of time. So I just, I walk around the room and I'm like, you're next, you're next, next. You know, I point to them. I, ta- I touch your desk. I, um, so you don't have to. I did try taking classes, um, tutoring trying to learn Vietnamese and just didn't work. I'm going to try again, but I need more time. I need time. Yeah. So when I mentioned <laughs> your, and I'm going to go into a different question, but thank you for answering that. That was a it long is, answer. Wow. No, no worries. No worries. I like it. Um, so I mentioned that you were an entrepreneur by heart. Yes. So what businesses have you tried before? Well, I had a restaurant in New York, and then I've done, had a small time 
catering and event planning, but small scale in the States. Here, when I first landed within six months, I opened a hostel because that is also part of my, my background, my field. Then I opened a hotel and then I opened the travel agency and I closed all three, I paused them, as they say here, when COVID hit, when the lockdown started. And I have since reopened the travel agency, which was my favorite. So how difficult is it to start a business in another country? <laughs> Extremely <laughs> difficult. Extremely. Because especially countries like Vietnam, where English is not only not a uh, language that is uh, compulsory in the schools, it's also a um, quasi-communist, socialist kind of controlling government. So they're very, they have a very tight grip on the monies and everything is in Vietnamese. So if I don't know the language and the language doesn't know me, then it's just very difficult. And the system's different. So it's very difficult for countries like this to, to adapt. So if they want to collect the electric bill, there's someone walking around door to door with a handful of cash in one hand and invoices in the other. But the invoices are in Vietnamese. So I, who knows? I couldn't even tell you if it was an electric bill. It could be <laughs> anything. It could be donations for Red Cross. I have no clue what it is. Um, so there's a lot of that. So how they set it up is they encourage you to have a Vietnamese partner. Encourage meaning don't be stupid. Have You know, you need mm -hmm. one. Yeah. So that's what I did. I have a friend of mine who is a, um, a friend of mine here in Vietnam is a, my business partner. And it works out for the best because, especially for the travel, because that's what his forte is here. He was running one of the top travel agencies here in Vietnam. So it was a win-win for me, definitely. Um, yeah, it's difficult. It's very difficult. So that's did right. you have to fund it yourself, for example? I think you mentioned the hostel is the very first business you opened there. <clears throat> I did. I funded it myself. Um, but opening a business is less costly than it is in the U.S. That's so true. So there's there's trade-offs. You know, the U.S. you don't have. Who, where does this? Where does your podcast air? Um, am I going to get in trouble if I spill secrets? The, um, the we don't have like here. You have police coming. You know, door to door. Um, let's wow. say seeking seeking donations. Um, the. So it's it's a little oh. bit different of a yeah it's a little bit different of a setup. It's easier, but it's riskier. It's easier to set it up, but it's a riskier business. So you have to at any point admit to yourself that you might have to walk away that day. So mm -hmm. that's how it works. Is you can't plan on permanency. Okay, and then you had a hotel too. Yes. How many rooms? Are the hotel and and did you have that at the same time that you had the hostel also? I did, I did. I, I opened it maybe three months after the hostel. And the funny part is, is that so I would obviously live in hotels when I was traveling, and the one that I stayed at the most in Hanoi is the one I ended up buying. Oh, so, so I was, they will have some MLS system where you just look up properties and voila, there it is. It's very convoluted and very difficult to find information. And when you do, the, the prices are going to be all over the map. No, no standardized information or source of 
finding it. So at one point, after looking over and over and all at all these places, there was one that turned up. I did have a broker, but he didn't know where I was living. And they sent me to a place down the street. Kind of reminded me of New York. Like I'm not telling you where it is until I know you're a serious buyer or um, customer client. And anyways, at the end of the day, ended up being the hotel I was living at, which I was like, this is yes, I have I'm definitely taking this hotel because I love the hotel. I know the hotel. Done. So that was really a small world. I loved that. I loved it. Man, it's like you manifested that dream or something. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. I was like, I can't believe it's the hotel that I live in. I was like, yes, I want this. Yes. So that was really, yeah, that was really cool. Um, because I, especially because I knew the place and I had already learned with the hostel, which is a different story, mm-hmm. um, that trying to learn how the place works you know, you need that complete cooperation and transparency from the staff because you don't know what linen service they use or vendors, or you don't know any of that. So with the, with the hotel, I knew everyone that worked there. I knew who was good, who was bad, who I was keeping and who, you know, what, what I was going to change around. So that was really beneficial. The hostel, I closed on it. And I think I had maybe three weeks until I was supposed to take over. Well, the day I, closed i got a call that night from the owner and she said that's it i'm leaving early i was like what do you mean you're leaving early she goes you own it now and she goes it's a full house breakfast at you know breakfast in the morning and that's that's how i got pushed into the business that's how i learned it was you have breakfast and this was probably like midnight she texted me so she's like, yeah, you need to be there in six hours. You have a full house. So I, that's what me and my friend went there and we made breakfast and just winged it. Oh my that's God. how we learned. That's how we learned the business. I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. 6 a.m. 6 a.m. How do you want your eggs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like on the fly, you learn all this stuff. How crazy. Yeah. How crazy. But, fun, and then, but it was fun. It was yeah. Fun. And, and so since you had to cook the eggs and everything, you were a chef too. So tell me about chef. that. Mm-hmm. So I went to Johnson and Wales in Charleston, South Carolina, before they moved to Charlotte. So yes, I'm a trained chef and, and practicing chef. I also did, you know, managing and owning, et cetera. So yes, eggs, scrambled eggs was not a problem. <laughs> uh, was not a problem. That and toast, I think. Um, no, it's good. It's easy. And, and that ended up segueing because after lockdown, I paused the businesses someone offered me their land, their property to open a restaurant. And again, because I just can't say no to owning a business. I was like, <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Um, and I started, I'd already kind of sought out recipes in the sense that I constantly am trying and comparing dishes to other places, to each other. Um, so I kind of already knew the dishes um, and knew the fundamentals of what I, I enjoyed, um, what I thought made it what it was. So anyways, um, I ended up saying no to the restaurant at the end of the day, and that ended up segueing into a cookbook. So it all worked out. It all yeah. worked out. So the cookbook itself, you create all those recipes then? I did. I did. 
What is your inspiration for creating some of the recipes and how did you learn to cook in Vietnam? And is it Vietnamese food in there only? I guess uh, I it's think. only Vietnamese. Yeah, it's, only, <laughs> it's only Vietnamese food. Well, you know, the, the, the reason for the cookbook was more about trying to encourage people to travel and kind of understand Vietnam. And this came from someone who visited me, who there was a conversation about how they thought you needed a machete to get to your hotel. Because we just don't, you don't know, you know, if you, if, if all we learned about Vietnam in school was the war, what mm -hmm. do we really know? You never see it on the news. If you did, you wouldn't, you know, the part that you would see would be the part they wanted you to see. Like if you're, you're watching these in New York, it's probably going to be from Times Square. You know, it's, it's just, they film, they, they air where people are either familiar with or they want to see. So with the, with the cookbook, it was, I wanted to kind of introduce the culture in a lighthearted way, not a history reading, not a history class. It's all tidbits, splinters of the, uh, the colorful culture here. And with the recipes, I try to do as authentic as possible with um, understanding that these were going to be made by somebody in the U.S. So I had to take some, a little bit of liberty, but the end flavor that I was shooting for was to be as close to what I enjoy here as possible. But that's from me seeing on, on social media, I'll see people posting pictures of pho. I'm like, what, what is like, what is that? <laughs> I, I, or bon me, and it's just nothing like we, what we have here. So that was all part of that was, you know, if, they, if I can just open their eyes and introduce the food and the culture, and I can do it through a book, maybe that'll encourage them to travel. And then that will hopefully help them grow, find their passion. Like I found mine. Hmm. That's interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Finding your passion. And it is hard for some people to find our passion, isn't it? I think you have been so lucky, Paul, coming up. <laughs> or just You're meeting the right people in the right times, it seems. It's working out. It's working out. But it's, but it's all taking that step. And you know, with owning a business, it's, you have to take that step. And it's kind of the same thing. If you own a business, you can't go, mm, should I do it? No, nah, I don't want to. I don't know. If you own the business and you're responsible for bringing in that income and, and paying for all these salaries or all these people who are supporting your families, you have to make these decisions. So it's the same thing, I think, with me. Yes, I'm definitely lucky and fortunate. And it also came from making the decision, which was the travel. You know, I, if I didn't make that decision in Santorini, just keep wandering, I would have never been here. None of this would have happened. So speaking of traveling, when did you start to travel and make that decision to just, I don't know, just take off and start traveling? Well, I went on a 10-day vacation birthday trip in Greece, and it was on my friend's boat. And they literally dropped me off on the beach in Santorini because we stayed on their boat the entire time. And there I was on the beach. I had only brought a backpack because one of my friends told me that's, you know, that way you don't have to worry about losing luggage. So I'm on the beach in Santorini and I made the decision. Just go. Don't wow. go back. I had in the back of my mind, you know, I, I wanted to travel. I wanted to explore while I was over there, but I really didn't have, I had nothing set, nothing planned, nothing definitive. But it was right then and there that I said, just start walking. Just keep wandering. 
Very interesting. Very interesting, Paul. So tell me, before you started (laughs) traveling, who was Paul then? And then now that you have traveled and and are living abroad in Vietnam, who are you today? (laughs) This is going to be the same answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You, um, wait, question. you gotta wait, you gotta tell me who you were before though. Who was Paul? What did you do? I mean, I know I, you had a restaurant, right, in New York, and you were a chef of some sort, right? I was at that point in time, I was managing a restaurant in New okay. York City. Um, and I had Airbnbs and I was just working to death. You know, I was I was doing both. I was the same person. The difference is, is that I think I now have more of a self-awareness. I think I have more of a, I have more empathy because I understand um, the other part of the world a lot more. And, and I think I understand that I have a social responsibility. So, and I think that's part of tying back to the cookbook is is I have a responsibility, I think, to encourage others. You know, if if I can encourage someone else to do what what I did, then that's the very least I can do. Okay. Because you really benefit from it. You really benefit from traveling, especially traveling solo, especially. I love the answer of self-awareness, um, self-awareness. before and after. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, so that was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> so you did know in a way. Ding, 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 ding. Yay. <laughs> so um, now let's get back to your travel agency. Um, when did you open that up? And, you know, let me tell you about this. When I went to Mexico, well, what about 15 years ago, I met these wonderful ladies. They were expats and they yes. own a travel agency. And all they yes. did over there was to get me to some ruins in, in different parts of Cancun or Isla Morejes, any of those other places. So it was a local tourist for me to yes. go to because I just went there on a whim, right? right? And I had no plan. I'm at a hotel. I'm like, yeah, what can I do? Oh, well, let's right. check out this travel agency. And then they pointed me and my friends to different parts of Mexico where we can travel the ruins. Mm-hmm. And so is that what your travel agency is like there? Yeah, it's uh, it, we have the packages and we have the tours and we have customized tours. So yes, most people I don't think understand that how travel agencies work is it's no different than going to a retail store. So you go to whatever store it is, you know they purchase something wholesale and you buy it from them retail. So it's the same for us. So. If someone says we want to do this, then we can plan it out for them. And typically you you pay the same or less than if you were to book it yourself. But the the plus to it, there's many pluses. Um, One is we we can maximize your time in Vietnam. But the other is it it gives you um, support. It gives you someone who can be held accountable for whatever you're doing. And I think that's kind of important because when you travel, you have no rights, you know, and you have no guidance. I, I was listening to this podcast today um, of this lady who's a travel agent in the States and she books trips in Vietnam. And I just, I almost 
I almost crawled on the floor, just going, please stop lady, please. Cause she was just giving the worst advice. And I, and I just, I, I couldn't wring her neck because, you know, she was, I'm just listening to a podcast, but the, the thing she was telling these people, um, and I'll give you one example. And that is, you know, if you are, I understand people rent. So this is a motorbike country. Everyone has a motorbike. If you rent a motorbike and I understand people do and issues have never happened to them, but if an issue happens, if you were, God forbid, if you got into a fatal accident, you realize you just have to pay them like $10,000 on the spot where you're going to, you go to jail. There's laws that you just don't know about. It's just not worth the risk. Um, But most people would never know that. I would never drive, rent a car or a motorbike in a foreign country because there's so many laws and it's just not necessary. You're not going to get any thrill from driving a car. There's nothing, you know, why would you not have someone drive you so you can look around and they can answer questions, um, but not not understanding that the, what the risks could be is huge. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, you know, you leave your your backpack in a a cab, you're not going to find that cab ever again. But if the cab was arranged for you, you'll find that cab and you'll find your backpack. It's, the list goes on and on. So what do we do? Yeah, we we plan the tours and we we organize them and. And we're there. We're there for support. Oh, okay. So that that is good to know. I had no idea of all those crazy rules. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that list goes on and on. There, it's it's never ending. All these things because we don't know the and you don't have rights. You don't have the same rights. You don't have the same rules. True. Um, there was a friend of mine in Australia who was talking about accidents, and they said you know, the majority of the accidents on the road come from people in the u.s because they just are not used to driving on that side mm-hmm. um you just you think you got it but you don't just let's why would you not let someone else drive it's not like they're costly especially in a country like like vietnam that's what i was going to ask you is it like cost saving to rent a car or rent a motor a bike instead of just having somebody drive you you know oh it's um, it's it's definitely cheaper and oh. to um to rent to uh, have someone drive you, but the how are you going to even return the car? How are you going to find out where it goes? <laughs> you, you just can't. So stop. Just, just yeah. Let, just let it go. Um, there was Sop. Okay, so I don't know if you know Sapa. It's in the mountains up north. But it was so busy this weekend that they literally turned away buses and cars. They they told they said you know what we're closed. They closed a town because it was wow. so busy. If you are renting a car and you're stuck in that traffic, um, you're done. Like you just lost, <laughs> you lost a whole day and things like that happen. You would never think they would close a town, but they do. Um, and someone else, there was an accident and they were trapped in their van. Well, they were six. They were someone who they weren't working with us anymore. They were in their van for six hours on the road, um, just parked. They ended up reaching back out to us um, and we helped them. But, you know, you would never be able to get 12 motorbikes, six for them and six for the luggage to get them out of there. You know, you just would not be able to coordinate that. But those things happen. Um, So I don't care if it's us or someone else, but that's really their purpose. The purpose of a travel agent should be to oversee your trip. 
it, you know, it's not just to sell it to you. It should be to oversee it and help you. And that's what we do. I like that. I like the way you put that is to oversee your trip and plan everything because we just don't know. I mean, somebody, I have no clue if I'm going to another country, right? You don't, you don't know. There's so many things that could happen. I never Um, thought about it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Good to know. How do you get that word out as a travel agents uh, agency? And are you the only person running a travel agency? And how do you get the word out of what you, we just conversed about? Um, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, if, if we're talking to someone, then I tell them. If they say what they're planning on doing, then I'll. But I, I'm not a hard salesman. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sell you on a trip. <laughs> you know, it's it's not about the anything except for the fact that if they want to book with us, and we, then they we'd love to have them. You, you you could go online and post all these stories, but. I realized in the beginning when I was learning about this, oh, here's that word, the shakedown. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we also, like when you drive motorbikes, especially here, they'll pull you over and they just want money, but there's a language barrier. But what they're looking for is your wallet and everything that's in it. When you start posting information, A, you get in trouble because mm. no one wants to see that. But it is a reality. Yeah. But when they, when and you can Google, you'll see, they 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 are known to stop foreigners who are driving motorbikes for money, but then when these foreigners being me um, from the states, not Vietnamese, what happens is when they read that information and they don't understand it completely, then there's confusion and there's assumptions. So a lot of these guys like, well, it looks like the majority of the things I read said I only need to carry five hundred thousand VND in my wallet and hide the rest of the money and i'm like well no just don't rent a motorbike is what it's what it's really saying is <laughs> you know you're missing that you're missing it they're trying to cause trouble and you're trying to be sneaky you know that's not the answer the answer is don't rent a motorbike uh so when you post that information then it gets a little confusing and you feel like you're not really telling them the best advice but yeah the answer is not hiding part of your money uh the answer is is don't rent a motorbike (laughs) because they're looking for you. Yeah. Or else do some research when you travel abroad before you go there. Is that information? Well, they have these arrangements also like some, it's not really about the 500,000 BND shakedown. There's a bigger picture and there's bigger risks. Yeah. Um, And it has happened and it has happened to our guests. Like, it's okay. We're fine. We're going to rent it. And they confiscate the bikes. They're like, you're right. I'm like, God, no, I'm right. Now, now you're screwed. So um, posting online is difficult. If they just need to heed your advice. So if they don't heed your advice, they don't trust you. If they don't trust you, you know, they shouldn't. It's going to be a tough trip for them. Mm. You know, they're going to be on their own anyway. They're not going to listen anyway. Yeah. Have you ever had any um, mad clients that came to you and then said, ah, I wanted a motorbike or anything that's different than what you might have advised to them. Um, mad. No, there's a, some back with the hotel. There were, we were just talking about this yesterday. Me and my business partner, there is a group of four girls who they were doing that price shopping. Thing. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't blame you. You want to, you know, everyone's yeah. always looking for a bargain, especially I'm used to that in New York. Um, but I, I knew I knew it wasn't going to happen. I knew our price, and and people don't realize 
travel agencies here, actually a lot of places, you know, I saw in Turkey too, you have a, a company has a foothold on an area. And a lot of times they'll own multiple agencies on the same street. Same they, they do the same thing with retail. So you think you're price shopping, you see this jacket, and then you go to the next store over, you price it there, you go to the next, little do you know the same person owns all three and you're not really doing anything. You're just wasting your time and you're entertaining them because they own all the businesses and that's their purpose. High, low, high. You know, it's that's just how they operate. And it's the same with the travel agencies. So these these group, this group of four girls, I believe it was, um, they wanted a five-star cruise. And anyways, they came back and said, hey, they gave us this price. And I was like, well, you, it's impossible. You know, we know what the contract price is. You, We just can't. You, you, they're selling to you for less than they even would pay for it. So it's not the same ship. It's not the mm. same boat. But so it's not a upset. But afterwards, yes, they got bamboozled and they ended up on this like three star cruise where, you know, they someone could see into their cabin. They, you know, there was no way to close. <laughs> There's a, you know, this is a nightmare. But when they came back, the girl in charge was like, everything was great, blah, blah, blah. But one of the girls separated later the next morning and, and told us and showed us pictures of the nightmare that they encountered. But she didn't want to, she was saving face and she didn't want to admit that she was wrong. Yeah. So they're not mad, um, but you know, it's choices are choices, but I love, I love how she came back. She's like, Oh, it was really good. I said, really? I start cruise, huh? She said, yeah, it was nice. Um, but, you, know, <laughs> you knew something was wrong, but when her friend came back and, and showed us the pictures, uh, oh, and being able someone being able to look in their cabin all night, like they had no, uh, uh no curtain and there's a, this strip ripped out where the crew could watch them oh, <laughs> <how> awful <laughs> uh. so so paul if yes. anyone wants to start a business in a foreign country like a travel business like you have yes. would you recommend it i'd say just be careful i you know, i followed the legal route and i used an attorney here for everything i did you know the legal system's not worth much here, you can't really do anything with your contracts, but I still followed it and heeded their advice. But, you know, there's a lot of risk. You don't have the same rights as you do in the U.S. or some other countries such as the U.S. or similar to. So what I, I, you know, I recommend it if you, A, can take the risk and B, you're confident and comfortable with your choices, but you have to be comfortable with the risk. Every penny you spend every minute you spend you you may lose it you may lose it all easily without rights why why wouldn't you lose it all why wouldn't you have the opportunity to have it be gone in the morning it could happen yeah so what i I'd, I'd recommend it because it's fun it's adventurous since you live once um, right. but you have to be able to afford the it's a gamble it's a big gamble yeah, like you said, it's kind of fun and you're learning a new journey. It's uh, taking that risk. And um, like you said, you only live once. So, Paul, what yeah. do you do when you're not working? What do you do for fun? Um, this is fun for me. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's it's fun. You know, it's I really I do miss I don't miss the hotel and the, the hostel at running as a business because there's so much micromanaging um different than the travel different um but i do miss seeing those people on a daily basis 
So what do I what do I do? I I do travel. The both I travel in Vietnam and the travel agency. I think it's mostly work. It's mostly work. If I'm not working, I'm I'm trying new foods and I'm traveling in Vietnam. Okay. But the work is not the work doesn't seem like work. <laughs> it really doesn't. Even the even the teaching part, it doesn't seem like work because I get to learn from them. Makes sense. Oh yeah. It's it's like your passion, you're not even working. I get yeah. it. I get yeah. it. So what are you working on now? I know you're working on the cookbook. Um, you want to tell us more about that and anything else you're working on now? Well, the cookbook is in its final stages, but it's out of my hands. So I am pretty much done with it. It's hopefully going to be at the end of this year, maybe the beginning of next year. But that's a, that takes a village to, to make. I didn't realize what a nightmare that is. Holy ever, cow. Really? Uh, it, it takes a team. It really. I heard that before that it takes a village to, to make a book. It really does. It's editors across the board um recipe editors and and the testers and then developmental editors and and everyone everyone has their hands in the cookie jar and it doesn't end um so but i think for the most part i'm kind of done with it i for me now definitely the focus on the travel agency and i will make the decision about teaching later in the summer, um, whether or not I revisit that or not. And once it, once the dust settles, I wouldn't mind traveling. I would like to travel outside of Vietnam because my travel has been limited for mm -hmm. quite some time. And I, I wouldn't mind a another book, but I have to, let me get this one under my belt first. I wouldn't mind another cookbook in it from a different country. Well, your cookbook, it sounds like it's, you know, it's a hard copy of some sort. Is it going to be available online? You know, like as a download? I don't know, maybe on Amazon. Like how I, I read so many people self-publish. I'm not self-publishing. I'm not self-publishing. Um, I'm I'm doing tradition, the traditional route. So I, how they want to market it is up to the publisher. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Most of them are they make available online. But I don't know yet. Okay. That's up to it. Once it leaves your hands, it's kind of it's a it's a nightmare, man. Um, did I tell you? Did I tell you what my first line was for my intro? Of the no, book? no. It was I never. Well, first of all, I didn't realize I had to even write an intro because I just I thought <laughs> I was like, yeah, here here's some recipes and some pictures. Um, but so they they're like, okay, now we need your intro. So the first line was I. Uh, this is after many, many demands. Ah, now we need this. Now we need this. Um, so the first line is, and they may still cut it, but the first line is, I never thought I'd be writing a cookbook, a Vietnamese cookbook. Oh, and there are times that I wish I'd never had. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going to take it out. But that's how I feel. It's, it's, it was so it was so difficult. It, you think you're going, oh, here's my book. But no, it's, it's um, now you make it how they want it or you know their suggestions it's a lot of it's a lot of work a lot of work how many so, pages is it i right now it's two, right now it's 260 i think wow it's a um, lot of recipes <clears throat> and, and you and you photographed um all the pictures in there right yeah yeah 
but it's it's going to take a I think it's going to take a turn because I was going for what it's going to keep though is that lighthearted part about the culture because I think that's super important. Mm-hmm. I, I want people to learn the culture, but I don't want it to feel like it's a history class. So there's a lot of one line blurbs <clears throat> that will just make you go, oh wow, I didn't know that. And that's kind of like piquing their interest was really my goal was to pique people's interest into traveling, if not to Vietnam, then just in general. Wow. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait till it's <laughs> finally out there. I can't, I can't wait till I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's so been now, four years, three and a half years working on it. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What were you saying? I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to get to the ending part of uh, the podcast because now it's the it's a time where I ask people a funny or weird question. Oh, I don't do well with quizzes. Okay. Oh, go ahead. It's going to be easy. So here it goes. Would you rather know the history of every object you touched or be able to talk to animals and why? Oh, um, I would have to say, I'd have to say the animals. Oh man, you're not going to like this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Go ahead. So so here, because they they dog here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Everyone is listening. Quiet, quiet. This is a culture issue. And once you understand, you don't have to approve, then we can have a conversation. But um, I would want to because I because of that reason. Um, I would love to. I'd love to hear what the animal is thinking. I would love to. I would love to hear that because there's a. It's very interesting to watch the Western influence of dog eating in a country that where it is acceptable. So we have my friend makes fake dog meat stew my vietnamese friend or or all of them they make fake dog meat stew because they enjoy the flavors of traditional dog stew but they don't want to eat dog so for me i would want to talk to animals but it would be because of situations like that i would love to i would love to very interesting answer and yeah i I didn't expect that i knew you wouldn't But you know, I hear dogs barking in the background, and my joke is always, "Oh, sounds like someone's making dinner." Um, <laughs> oh my god! So, but it's it's that it's particularly because of dogs, because people will have dogs, raise dogs, and my friends who don't eat dogs, they were given dogs as kids, and then when they got fat, their parents killed them, and they ate them. So that's my part of my intrigue. So now those friends don't want to eat dogs because they had dogs as pets. Right. Yeah. Totally understand. If your if your kid in the States has chickens as pets, will your kid eat a chicken? Who you know, it's that kind of thinking. So that's why I would love to be Dr. Doolittle and have a little fireside chat with some of these animals. What do you think's going on when they when they when they take you to the kitchen? Hey, there was a there was a movie. It was a weird cult movie. Uh, probably it came out in the seventies. Okay. And I can't remember the name. If it's like Death Scare or something like that. It had to do with animals being killed okay. for food. And 
it was showing the reaction of the animal. They knew they were going to get killed. And so they behave way differently than what they were before. And it was kind of interesting. So they know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. On, a, on a lighter note, everyone. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can see all now. I see why there's plant-based people eating and all this vegan stuff, right? Maybe because of that, I don't know. But yeah, but you know, some of us are carnivores, some of us are both, you know, herbivores and all. But it's okay, it's all right. But uh yeah, so anyways, how would people get a hold of you? How can we get in contact with you if they want to find you and find out about the latest news on your cookbook? Um, the book, you can sign up to be notified when it's available. The website for that is my name, which is very creative. It's Paul B. Kennedy. So it's my name, <laughs> Paul, and then B is the middle initial, like boy, Kennedy. That's like the president. So my uh, the cookbook information is at paulbkennedy.com, and the travel website is vietnamtravelwithus.com. Awesome. No, um, if they, if anyone ever wants advice about traveling, you can also reach out to me in social media, Paul in Vietnam is on Twitter, but in all honesty, if you ever have questions, not about the tour, or if you ever have a question about, you know, should I, or what size backpack should I, you know, any questions, because no one really, I did have some friends towards the end who guided me, but no one really guided me into traveling. Um, so I'd be more than happy to to connect and answer any questions you might have that I hopefully will know and can help you with. I, I think as a girl, I need two backpacks. I don't know. I, I don't no. know if I can do it in one backpack, man. You can do it. <laughs> you can do it. I have faith yeah. in you. <laughs> yeah. Just be uh, just gym shoes and sandals. I think. No, just wear the sandals. That's it. Huh? Shoes. There's no room for shoes. <laughs> no room for shoes. <laughs> Buy shoes? No, I tried it. It doesn't work. Really? And, and once you pass that backpack, you know you want to stay with one backpack. It makes it changes the entire trip. Literally, wow. it really does. It changes everything. Hmm. So I'll have to check that out too about backpacking uh, travel. That's that. That is rough. It seems not I mean, that you know. not that big one like you see like a camper. No, yeah, just like a forty right. liter backpack, a tiny little backpack. I'm not talking the one that's the size of a, a small car. No, yeah. I'm talking about yeah. like a like a backpack <laughs> you might have had in school, a forty liter backpack. So I'm no sleeping you. bags. No sleeping no sleep, bags. No. no, unless okay. you're going camping. That's a whole right. different story. Totally no, different a, story. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> all right well paul thank you so much for being in my podcast i really enjoyed knowing more about you and uh, the cookbook and the culture there and your travel agency it was really fun thank you so much Lourdes, thank you for having me it was a pleasure <laughs> same here so all right we'll be in touch thank you so much all right bye lord bye-bye and join me next week when i interview an ex-colleague of mine who is a project manager. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast and please share this episode with your friends. Please subscribe, rate, and review this episode. And as always, the show notes will be available at eighthlevelpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.